Hello and welcome along to the RTE Rugby Podcast, a second helping this week because there's so much going on in Irish rugby at the moment. A reminder, if you haven't listened to it already, we did our Grand Slam recap podcast with Bernard Jackman and Ian Keatley yesterday. You can get all of that in the usual places. Now, though, we're turning our attention to the TikTok Women's Six Nations, which gets underway this weekend. As they did last year, Ireland opened up the campaign against Wales. This time it's away from home. 2.15 kickoff at Cardiff Arms Park live on RT2 and RT Player, as well as commentary on RT Radio 1. Fiona Coughlin is with me to look ahead to all of that. Evening, Fiona. Thanks a million for speaking to us. Evening. Delighted to be here. I'm I'm going to start actually, Fiona, by making you feel old. Obviously, 10 years since since the Grand Slam win in, in Italy and all that. Does, this, does it feel like 10 years ago? Well, I certainly do feel a lot older and look at what now it's flown by, to be honest with you. Um... Yeah, like we have a WhatsApp group that just pings all the time and you're constantly in contact with, with the girls and, and management and stuff. But I feel it's flown by, even though there's so much that's gone on in women's rugby in, in those 10 years. Um, yeah, it just seems like yesterday. You know, I remember it so vividly as well. But uh, yeah, good old great days. And just I kind of brought it all back to home then because the men obviously did it 10 years later, uh, the day after, like on it. So kind of that kind of brought it all home to get again. So it was brilliant. Have you anything planned as a group, kind of mark the occasion or anything? So we were trying, uh, kind of unofficial last week, to try and get a group together, but everyone was all over the shop. So hopefully down for the Ireland-England game down in Cork, we might get a good crew down there. Who's the social secretary of that group organising those things? Yeah, I kind of put it in and kind of organised, trying to organise it. But uh, there was a little a little group that got a session going last weekend, Um for the men's game to watch that, but it was only about five or six of them. So I, sure. I'm taking it upon myself to try and get a bigger crew down in Cork. So captaincy duties extends to 10 years down the line. You're not shirking that responsibility. I just want a good night out, to be honest <laughs> with you. As you said, though, like there have been some great days since then. Unfortunately, probably more bad days than good days when it comes to, to Irish women's rugby, particularly in the last few years. But it feels, it does feel at the very least, we're we're starting a new chapter now in the last few months. The first batch of domestic professionals getting ready for their first Six Nations campaign? Yeah, look, there's been obviously a distinct change since um, the review came out. The RFU took upon the recommendations all on board. Uh, Greg McWilliams is obviously in as coach. This is his second season, but even that summer tour away to Japan, like the first time there was a summer tour, gave a lot of young players lots of opportunities as well then to go into professional contracts. And I know like it wasn't a full take up, but I think that's pretty understandable when something new like that comes in and people have to rearrange their life. And it was, I know it was muted and stuff like that, that it was um, going to be coming up, but still there are big changes that you have to ask people to take. So I think as that kind of progresses, we'll see more and more players kind of take it up and hopefully some of those English players will come back um, and take up national contracts because to be fair, they're more lucrative than they'd be getting over in England anyway. Um, and then great that, they were in training as professionals since November. And then obviously there was the combined or the Celtic challenge, which was another, to be honest with you, I didn't think the standard of it was hugely great, but it gave those young players another opportunity to go abroad, play abroad, be in that team environment. They'll learn a huge amount from that. And also put some players in the shop window for national coaches to have a look at them a little bit deeper. So while the standard wasn't great, there was positives to take out of it. Before we get into the weeds of, you know how Ireland are going to do and the fixtures and that and that the the format the it's the second year of this new standalone time slot um 
obviously running straight after the Six Nations. Like, it, it is still competing, it has to be said, with, you know, latter stages of Champions Cup, big rounds in the URC. So, like, it isn't just out on its own where there isn't any competition. It does have to kind of fight for the fight for the eyes. Yeah, look, I, I think no matter what time of the year in the rugby calendar you have, there's always going to be competition. So I think it's nice that it runs immediately straight after, I suppose, the men's and the 20s that were straight into it, that that international kind of, you have an appetite for international rugby, that that's still there. The fact that it's been broadcast free to air is absolutely brilliant to get more eyes on it as well. And that's been consistent now that people know that if they want to watch the women's game, that it's live on national TV, which is huge. I think the move to Musgrave Park was positive. And I think hopefully that that crowd come out again, that we saw there last weekend, all 8,000 them come out again. And, um, to support the women but you're right there is that competition still there and that's why the product as the game can need to keep improving to keep the eyeballs on it and keep generating people's attention on it and then that's that full circle of getting bums on seats and sponsors in and more people playing and you know but I think that move was certainly really really positive because it was just so busy on an international weekend to try and, and keep up with everything like um so hopefully I think it will stay in this window, regardless as we go on with the WXB and things like that. But it's been a really positive move. The move to to Cork, you said it there as well. It's that's one I I quite like as well. I was, I did a uh, I did two of the three or two of the two of the three home games last year. I did the the RDS game against Wales, and I did Italy in in Cork. And I have to say, I thought like the whole experience down in Cork, it just felt a lot better. The RDS was probably a little bit too big, and down in Cork, they were able to get the right amount of people into it and generate a really, really good atmosphere. And it felt like a full ground and that obviously extended to the atmosphere all around it. And speaking to people who would have done a lot of the 20s games as well down there, you know, when you have a nice little 8,000 ground and you can fill it up well, you can make a lot of noise in there and really kind of generate a good atmosphere and make it a good home as well. Yeah, and that's that's what I'd, I'd say the players want a home. Like for us, our home was Ashburn, and we we did love it. And um, we absolutely loved it out there. And and the crowd, we knew them; they were local. We knew who was going to be there every week. And uh, like Energy Park was probably a little bit too small. And as you said, it the RDS was too big. Like you're you're lost unless the crowd are on top of you. So I I thought it was really positive out there. And I know like for the court public, they're starved of a little bit of rugby. You know, obviously they had the South Africa a game down there, and they've had a couple of games for Munster and Musgrave Park and stuff, but. Like they really bought into that twenties tournament this year. Look, it helps when they're winning, and it helps when they bring a Grand Slam home in Cork. But um, I just hope that the public continue to buy into it and, and come out and draw two games down there and two, you know, big games with two of the best teams in the world coming up on show. So it, yeah, it'll be good. And it'll be interesting to see. Can they? Obviously, the expectations are very, very different for the women's team than they were for Andy Farrell's side and for the twenties as well. But it will be interesting to see. Can they just feed off that? Appetite, as I said, for international rugby and that energy. Like I've been out in uh, Abbottstown at the High Performance Centre the last couple of days for the the media activity, and you know the players have spoken about the fact that when they've been in over the last couple of weeks, there is a there has been a buzz, there has been an energy. Um, I can't remember it was uh, Molly Scuffle McCabe, I think yesterday, or it might have been Neve Briggs actually talking about the fact that they were able to kind of you know get a bit of advice, you know, kicking advice, things like that off, off Johnny Sexton and picking the brains of a couple of players. And it will be interesting to see, does that, that energy just kind of feed into feed off and, you know, carry on with the players as much as the public. Yeah. Like I, I think all of them been out there on the HP, what's a HPC or HPU, HPC. HPC is Munster. It might be something different. Oh, HPU. It's the high performance unit That's it, yeah. um, in Blanche. Like 
you know, just having all that expertise out there on every front, you know, and, and we look at even the women's backroom team has grown in terms of analysis, nutritionists and things like that. Um, I think the women, this women's squad, obviously you, you go into a tournament wanting to win every game, but I think they'll be very realistic where they're at um, in terms of what they need to achieve this season. Obviously, again, more new faces in, uh, but they have a, like a little bit of a core stable group and obviously in terms of Greg and stuff, they've stable coaches. Briggsy's been there. Uh, John has been there. And Boggs was obviously away on um, tour with them in Japan. So there is consistency in their coaches as well. But I, I think they'll be very realistic of where they're at. And they will be focusing on like those away games in particular and looking to get wins there. But they they want to put a sh- on a show at home as well. On the, the overall tournament look ahead, is this... Is it very much looking like a straight shootout between England and France, one and two, and... A, a fight, albeit a probably an entertaining fight enough between the rest of them to to get third. Yeah, like England seem like the fact that their coaches are staying this year as well is big for them, and I think they're looking for kind of some retribution from the World Cup as well. But they haven't had a, a huge amount of change in their squad. There's a few new faces. Then Sarah Hunter's obviously retiring after the first weekend and 141 international caps, which is just phenomenal. Um, so they have that consistency in the performance, but they're missing like their ten. They're 10. Zoe Harrison is out injured. So Holly Aitchinson going to be in there. And that's kind of pressure on her. And Emily Scarrett, who would run the back line, really is out injured as well. But I just think they have too much strength and depth within their squad. France, a little bit different. New coaches in. Um, David Ortiz and Gail Mignot, one of my uh, friendly foes from many years ago, uh, former French captain. She's in as, as coach as well. And they've had a good few retirements. And France over the years have been so fickle in their performances, like sometimes on away trips, if it's raining, they just don't like to play. And and you just, you never know what you'd get. But in terms of uh, the quality of players they have, the experience of players they have, they look certainly set to be a step ahead of the others. And yeah, then I think any of the other four can beat each other on their day. Um, Italy, new coach in, not a huge amount of retirements. I think it was only two retirements in Ferlan and Batoni. Um, Wales coach, Scottish coach, same coaching team. And again, not they have a lot of um, consistency in their squad as well. And, you know, they obviously had a big time together at the World Cup. Like they had two months together at the World Cup. They have, they're, all of the teams are pro now in some some manner or form. And so, you know, that kind of levels that side of it up as well. So it's just going to see who maximises their performance. I think this first game against Wales is huge. Um, they only have two home games this year and Ireland is one of them and England is the other one. So like, gung-ho they're going to be coming out after that Irish performance and I know you know if there's a, a relatively passive rugby fan listening and they're talking to us or listening to us talk about Ireland going for third it might sound a little bit deflating but there's a decent prize for getting top three this year when you factor in the WXV tournament coming later on in in 2023 and given the fact as well is that the you know the there's no promotion or relegation in the first year of that. So a third place finish for Ireland is guaranteeing them games for two seasons against top quality opposition, which will be invaluable for them going forward. And that's the thing. There will be WXV for all the all the tiers. There'll be qualification. There's tier but the, one. But the top tier, you know. Yeah, the top tier. And that's hugely important for World Cup qualification because they're going to be using that going towards the next World Cup and World Cup qualification. But as you said, it, it's having that top tier of rugby every year and that just drives the standards even further again so like that's huge for them and I've been saying this since I heard this WXV tournament was coming out I was like Ireland have to get in that top tier like it's just imperative in order to just keep driving standards getting more into the game and and everything around it so it's hugely important and 
they'll know that as well. Um, and that'll be that'll be their target. We'll be third. So this is the point where we go about talking about how they go about doing it. Um, as we've said, it's a very young, very inexperienced squad. That, like there are a few, a few players in there dotted with a good bit of experience. But like Neve Briggs, we were speaking to yesterday in the quarter. She said, "I'm not going to say we're still in transition. We're not. I think we have to get out of that mindset now." Considering it's a very inexperienced squad, it's it, like it's an ambitious thing to say, and it's good to it's good to see the coach kind of. You know, they have had 12 months where they've been getting to know each other as a coaching team, getting to know the players. They've gone to Japan and now they're coming into a six, six Nations and you can't keep falling back onto that in transition kind of mentality for, for too long. And it seems they, they do know that themselves. Yeah, look, I think we've been talking about the women's squad in transition for God knows how many years now, whether that's players, coaches or whatever. We, I think every season we talk about it transitioning. So yeah, I think she's dead right to put a stop on that and say, right, They've had this structure in place. They've got that. I think the tour to Japan was huge in terms of um, betting in some of those younger players about what's expected of them. And then the professionalism as well. Well, that's this is their job for a number of them now. And the performance at the end of the day is, is what's important. So they're professional rugby players. It's all about performance and results at the end of the day. That's what they're going to be measured on. And uh, while that's tough for some of them, some of them are only 19, like, but, you know, they would have known that buying into it. And it would have been very much while there's this the holistic development of the player and ensuring that they're going through their education process as well, they are paid to play rugby, so they have to perform and there will be an expectation on them to perform. Um, and some of them will rise to it and some of them will struggle and that's what you're going to find out about the players now. Exactly. And the, the flip side as well is, we've been saying for a few months now, okay, the, this group of Irish women's players, a lot of them are full-time professional athletes. They've been training consistently together for several months now we're going to see improvements naturally on the other side Wales as an example this weekend they came to Dublin last year in the early stages of professionalism they're 12 months further down the line as well so again we're likely to see them being a little bit better than they were last year yeah um to be honest with you last year I didn't think their couple of months professionalism I didn't really see it in the game I thought they were probably had a bit more noose about them and a bit more experienced and they a went lot more a lot more physical it probably that was probably the extent of it I think yeah like and they went to their strength which was their line at mall and Ireland just couldn't defend it so I don't know how much the professionalism had really come through there but I do think we're going to see a distinct improvement yeah, well I hope we should expect if not someone should be asking questions about what they've been doing but um yeah, it was interesting for that Celtic challenge. Ireland actually won the two games against um the Welsh development side. So combined provinces. The first game was close. It was 27-26. The second game was 19-0. But that's a Welsh, they were a Welsh squad without any of their players playing in the Premiership, which similarly, we were playing without any of our players in the Premiership. So it'll be interesting to see the depth and the numbers that come back into um the match day 23 and what they'll bring. Obviously, a lot of Gloucester Harpery players are playing on the Welsh national team. And likewise, we've Neve Jones and Sam Monaghan, um, who I've no doubt will be involved in match day 23. So it depends on what experience they bring as well. But I would expect to see definitely a higher fitness um, level in terms of physicality, uh, improved skill level. Um, like obviously we're young, I would imagine young 10. I would imagine Dan O'Brien will stay at 10 because they have to stick with someone at this stage because there's been too much chopping and changing over the last number of years. And she was there for the Japan tour and for the Brian provinces. So give her more time. Like you could see in the interpros, her game management needed to improve. I thought Nicole Cronin, who played for Munster, her game management was actually better, even though Dana probably has more natural kick and things, you know, there's, 
I suppose there's pros and cons to both type of players, but she is still only 19. She has played very little senior rugby. Um, I think she probably played one game senior for Tolo before she stepped into an Irish touring squad. So and looked very, know, very and looked very comfortable in Japan. Yeah, she did. In ter- her skill set seems to be there. She's playing the whole way up. I think it's just now her game management and putting her in those pressurized situations and learning from it and, and she will learn and she'll make mistakes and that's fine but you need to be put in those pressurized situations and you don't get it at training if it's at this high level in matches that you get it any any other individuals you've kind of seen or heard of through the the celtic challenge or people we might necessarily know too much about that you'd be looking forward to seeing a little bit of in the in the six nations or you think could make a decent impact um, I think Dervinik Verd, um, she's capped for what's it four times now, but like she she started. I remember playing as a winger, then she went to the sevens. She came back, she got capped at front row, then as hooker, but she was stand out in the back row for Munster. Um, in the Indian Interpros, I think she was player of the tour at the tournament. She was absolutely outstanding, but then they were throwing her in a bit in the combined provinces into hooker again. Um, but then you'd need Jones and Hookers. But I think Dervnik has to be on the pitch. I think and she was playing. She was playing back row as well in the combines. Yeah. Yeah. yeah so I was half, and then she went in as yeah. Hooker for some of it. So um, He's putting Josh van der Fleer and Keen Healy to to shame. Yeah, she was just she was unreal. Um, so that's going to be a really interesting dynamic because there is a great depth in the Irish back row. To be fair, and um, you know, obviously Mavo, Hanno, Connor, Dorothy Wall. I saw Idel McNamara is actually out. She or McMahon's out. She got injured. So. Uh, Dur for me is one who's been standing out this whole season. She's poor Cap, she should add more to her name. I'd be shocked. She definitely has to be on the twenty-three. Um, I think she should be starting. Uh, and thirteen, uh, young Eva Dalton. She's like a young Lynn Cantwell the way she plays. Uh, again, she's only nineteen. She come up through the ranks. Leinster under eight, Tullamore Leinster under eighteens, and just seems to like have a really wise head on very young shoulders. But just even the way she plays was like a young Lynn Cantwell. So. Uh, hopefully she can follow in that trajectory again. She was starting 13 um, in Japan and the combined province, so I've no doubt she'd be starting. And then one of the uncapped players who I'd imagine get game time would be uh, Nevo Dowd, prop, O'Belvedere prop, prop uh, played with Leinster this season. So the prop situation would be an area of concern with in, with regards to experience. Obviously, Linda Jujang is there. She was loose head for a lot of last season, but it looks like she might be moving to tight head with Christy Haney at loose head. And then it's pretty much uncapped the rest of them. So um, I think Nevo Dow could make an impact there. Um, I could imagine, I could definitely see her on the 23 and getting game time, she should get capped. And one of the other interesting things we heard this week, Neve Briggs was saying that the the dual players, the sevens and fifteens players, aren't going to be coming back in later in the in the championship. They'll be concentrating on the sevens program while they're trying to get their Olympic qualification spot in the the final round in Toulouse. I mean, on on one hand, it obviously is a blow that there are a lot of outstanding players that can come in. Is there another side of it though, where it's a big vote of confidence and it's putting a, probably a good level of expectation on some players that there isn't this magic group of players that can come in and save the day later on in the tournament if things aren't going too well like regardless of anything uh i think this is the right decision so i don't think last year i thought it was desperate that they were in for two games taken away and then other people were put in for three games we just i just don't think that's the right way to develop a squad like if you look at andy farrell he had a squad he had everyone involved at training sessions he brought everyone from portugal to cardiff that was their squad. They knew each other on the pitch. They knew each other off the pitch. So I thought bringing players in for two games and then 
other players who hadn't been in brought back in for the, the rest of the games. I thought that was wrong. Um, obviously, they're very talented players. You have the likes of Amy Lee Murphy, Crow, Baden Parsons, Eve Higgins, Lucy Mulhall, Stacey Flood, like, and the rest who we haven't even seen yet are talented players. Priority for them is obviously um, Olympic qualification at the moment. They're sitting in the right position. They're sitting fifth, but if it stays as it is, France are in front of them, so they're automatic um, because they're hosts, so Ireland goes. So they have to stay there. So that is priority, and I totally understand that. But even if that wasn't the case, I don't think there should be movement to players like that. I just don't think it does anything for a squad um, and learn to develop a squad and to know each other. So I, I think that was the right decision. Yeah, it just feels like if, you know, if there are a couple of bad results in the first couple of rounds and if hypothetically those players were brought back in, it's, you know, it's it could be fairly damaging to the confidence of a young player that, you know, you've had a couple of a couple of tough caps and all of a sudden these these more important players are brought back in and it feels like you're done almost. And look, those players haven't played any 15s rugby this calendar year anyway. Did they play a few club games maybe previously before December, but they haven't played any 15s rugby, so they're not 15s ready. So um, I don't think it would be even beneficial to the squad, no matter how good they are, because they haven't played any any 15s rugby. One final bit before I get some predictions out of you. Um, someone whose name has cropped up a couple of times in the interviews we've done this week, John McKee, it seems. Neil Briggs and the players are absolutely enamoured with him. He went on the tour of the tour of Japan with the squad and he's been brought in permanently as a as a, a senior coach working alongside Greg McWilliams. The the vibe we're getting from what we heard of people is uh Greg is very much the good cop and John not so much bad cop but the more serious cop. Uh the more detail the more detail oriented cop. But um it seems they've got a good kind of a a good bit of a tag team thing going on there and the the players certainly love him and he brings a vast amount of experience to the to the group. Yeah, like I think they, I think his original role to come in was to sit over and kind of overview it. But then when they went on tour to Japan, he was very hands on, and um, particularly with the forwards, um, and it just went down so well. I think they were hugely impressed with him, as you said. And you need that good bad cop, bad cop, don't you? I think it was very similar with Greg and Goose back in the day. Goose was definitely the bad cop, mm-hmm. and Greg was the good cop. And you know, players want that. They want the that attention to detail. They want to be challenged, um, to make them better players as well. And as you said, like that huge experience from coaching national team with Fiji and, you know, even his own experience as a player and, you know, being in those environments as a player, he'll add to that. Now, I know it was time ago that he was a player, but he'll still understand what they're going through at international level. So that's been a brilliant appointment from the, from the IRFU's point of view. And it's great for Greg as well to have someone with that experience because obviously it's his first role um, as a head coach of a national team and, you know, even to have someone to bounce ideas off, but it's having the balance right amongst the management group, which um, appears to be the case. I know there's a new manager in as well, in Alana Gattinger, I think her name is Canadian girl. So, um, you know, I, I think the whole, that whole management dynamic and the bag man, Andy Weir is still there. Uh, he was back there in my day as well. And he's a great guy. And those roles sometimes go understated of what he does and what someone like that brings to the squad. I know for years we heard about Rala and the de-stressing by going to Rala's room eating jellies and wrapping them up but you know those kind of conversations that someone will have whether it's with a physio or a bag man um, bag woman whatever they're, they're really really important but John's appointment was very shrewd and strategic I would imagine by the IRFU as well and it was great that he accepted and took it on so he must be getting something from it as well because with a coach with so much experience that he's happy you know to go in with this squad who are so young and so inexperienced but the difference that he, I'm sure he sees the difference that he can make in a, in a short time, which he did in Japan, 
what he can now do to me. He has them so, for so much longer. Well, it'll be fascinating to see the impact he's had on the side. As I said, 2.15pm kickoff at Cardiff Arms Park this Saturday. Live on RT2 and RT Player Wales against Ireland. Uh, also live commentary on RTE Radio 1 as well. Fiona, before we leave you go, I want your Six Nations winner. I want your final position for Ireland and I want your uh, I want your winner for this weekend in Cardiff. England are going to win it um, in a sellout crowd in Twickenham. That's over 40,000 at the moment. Um, Ireland, like I so want them to finish third. I just think it's probably too big an ask to go on the road and win those three games. I'm going to say fourth. I'm going to say they're going to have two wins. And this, what I want like, yeah, that's the thing is what I said, the away games, it's, you know, there, there, there isn't a huge amount between those between Ireland, Italy, Scotland and Wales. But ultimately, if Ireland are to finish third, they're winning three away games. Yeah. So like, that's huge. I want to be wrong. I want them to prove me wrong. I want them to be third, but I think it's going to be fourth. And this week, and it's going to be very close. It's going to be one score game. I'm going to go with Ireland. One score. Don't know what score is, but one score game. Well, finger cross, fingers crossed your eyes. Fiona Coughlin, thanks a million for joining us. Enjoy Cardiff this weekend. Cheers, thanks.